Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Night one of Camp Kiwi and the Bird. A swift annihilation. Hello, campers. This is Taylor, a.k.a. the bird from Kiwi and the Bird. And now let me just tell you. Kami and I, as well as our fellow director, T.M. Dallager, have been so excited and pleased to start summer camp back up this year. We know that Camp Kiwi has had a uh, bit of a rocky past. But this year, we are determined to provide you all with a safe environment. After all, we're now located at a new site in a forested area, encircled by a quaint mountain range. We have 12 cabins positioned centrally around a sparkling crystal lake, and we have all sorts of activities prepped and ready for our campers. From horseback riding, to archery, to arts and crafts, to kayaking, and, well, you get the gist. We've welcomed 64 campers onto our grounds this week, and we can't wait to get to know you all. You've unpacked your belongings, settled in your cabins, met your new roommates, and many of you are prepping to showcase your talents at tonight's talent show, which is where our story begins. Beside the lake, under the burnished light of dusk, a campfire roars to life. Sparks sift and cluster in the wind as a majority of Kiwi campers gather around the flickering flames. Their hands reach for warmth, s'mores, and homemade Taylor Swift friendship bracelets as they wait for the talent show to begin. When the moon just begins to peek out from behind the mountains, at Jamie underscore Christine 13's Cornelia Augustine calls for the talent show to begin. The camp leaders start things off with an assortment of dances, all of which make the campers laugh around the fire. Just as at Denise Sherman 2480's mouse finishes with her cheesy act, and at Tabby's underscore book underscore adventures starts performing paranoid by the one and only Jonas Brothers, at Chelsea Derrico's MK Bowen excludes themselves from the excitement and starts to head off into the woods in search for the camp washrooms. The laughter and crackle of the bonfire slowly fading with the distance. Dried pine needles crunch underfoot, and the wind picks up, making MK Bowen untie their hoodie from their waist and put it on. First the arms, then the hood. MK Bowen trips over something, landing hard on the ground on something. A body. MK instantly recognizes the one and only Wednesday Adams, laying lifelessly beside their newly cleaned guillotine. Shocked, thinking it must have been some sort of accident, MK scrambles backward, choking on a scream, only for their back to meet with something hard. MK turns around and sees a shadow behind them. The shadow grabs MK, slips off their T-Swift friendship bracelet, and strangles MK with it, the deadly crime unseen in the darkness. Back at the campfire, just as at Mickey and Batman's Marie does a disappearing act to the awe of the other campers, at Loki of Asgard 1217 and at Austin Vargo's Victoria, laugh as they watch and toast their homemade cookies, chatting about their day jobs and hobbies. At Loki of Asgard 1217 winces and grabs at their stomach, feeling a sharp pain in their gut. Victoria grunts and clutches at their side, feeling the same ache. Together, the two stand up from the campfire, stumbling with their sights swirling. A few of the other campers ask what's wrong, but their questions go unheard. There's a sharp ringing and loking Victoria's ears as they stagger away from the fire and toward the lake. Unbeknownst to their fellow, admittedly confused campers, they don't make it far. The poison has set in. They collapse by the bushes and reeds near the lake, hidden by the foliage, and never rise again. Overhead, the sound of distant thunder claps the ears of the campers. They agree it's time to go to bed, curfew and all, and leave the campfire, letting the embers die out. At Tristan underscore Robinson underscores, Violet Soringale walks alone back to cabin 12 and arrives safely. 
But the same cannot be said for At We Ship It podcast. As they tread back to Cabin 5, they swear they can hear the ghostly echoes of Taylor Swift's Haunted and the slick slice of an arrow cutting through the air and hitting a fleshy target. They turn and look at the woods just in time to see at Renly.May's Scarlet Costa slump to the ground. Before we ship it can raise their voice in alarm, another arrow is released and hits its target perfectly. Meanwhile, in the next door cabin, at one Fufu falls quickly asleep to the sounds of the starting rain, safe and unharmed. In cabin four, at Amelia is reading's Annalise, also finds the weather to be soothing, and twiddles with their T-Swift friendship bracelet as they lay in bed, thinking about the day. But there's a sudden, sharp jolt in Annalise's wrists, and a burning in her veins, some sort of toxic searing that is reaching for their heart. Annalise stumbles out of their bunk, reaching for the old rotary dial phone attached to the wall, and falls to the ground, dead. Despite the calls for curfew, at Sapphire underscore Dragon underscores, Eveline Holmes sits out on the porch of Cabin 3, watching as rain starts to overcome Camp Kiwi and the Bird, starting first near the lake, then the bonfire, and now the cabins. Eveline thinks it would be very easy for something bad to happen at Camp Kiwi and the Bird, like it has in years past. It's so quiet here. The woods go so deep, and the lake is rarely still. Anything could happen to anyone at any time. Eveline goes to take a sip from their homemade lemonade, only for another camper to step out and to tell them to come inside before they get cold. Eveline puts the homemade lemonade down, which had been poisoned, and walks into the cabin unhurt, having been saved. Nearby, at Jamie underscore Christine 13's Cornelia, arrives at cabin 9, and sees a nicely wrapped tray of cheesecake tarts on their doorstep, complete with a card from a camp counselor they had been admiring and flirting with throughout the day. Cornelia blushes and grins and takes the tarts inside, nibbling on a few. Little does Cornelia know that those tarts were their last meal. As they lay down in bed with a full stomach, they never wake again. The next morning, at worldly underscore writers Kaya, struts into cabin nine, excited to wake up Cornelia as they are entangled in a secret relationship. Kaya calls Cornelia's name and is confused when Cornelia doesn't answer. Kaya approaches their bunk, seeing Cornelia's body lying prone in the bed. Kaya tiptoes closer, dread a black thing in their heart and sees Cornelia, stiff and lifeless. The person they cared most about was dead and Kaya feels their heart shatter at the pain the shock, the trauma. Kaya screams and falls dead from a broken heart, waking up the rest of the camp to their new reality. Camp Kiwi and the Bird isn't safe, and there are now camp killers on the loose. Now that there, campers, was uh, hard to read. We just can't believe that something like this would happen to our camp again. I am afraid we have lost at We Ship It Podcast, at Chelsea Derrico, at Renly.May, at Austin Vargo, at Worldly underscore Rider, at Jamie underscore Christine 13, at K.M.Myers, at Amelia is Reading, and at Loki of Asgard 1217. Good luck, campers, and stay safe. Night two of Camp Kiwi and the Bird, Water and Fire. Hello, campers. This is Taylor, a.k.a. the bird from Kiwi and the Bird. Now I know what you're thinking. What are we doing here? Why aren't we going home? Is Camp Kiwi and the Bird still safe? And I wanted to take a moment to assure you all that we've called the police department and they've cleared the area and determined that camp is still good to go on. So, for our remaining 54 campers, we've got some fun activities set up for you all today. There's going to be some swimming at the lake, fencing, kayaking, and then later, all of you have kindly volunteered to host a candlelight vigil for those we have lost. Don't worry, 
Everything's fine and safe. Nothing bad happens in broad daylight. Which is where our story begins. It's a beautiful and sunny day at Camp Kiwi and the Bird. The storm from the previous night has been washed away, leaving the grass greener and the woods sparkling with dew. The campers shake off their unease from the day before and re-energize themselves as they put on their swimsuits. They grab their sunscreens and their books and take off, heading down to the glittering lakeside, where the sand is warm and the water is cold. Nearby, there have been a few centers put up for various activities, like fencing, volleyball, and axe throwing. At Once Upon a Library Girl blog settles on the shoreline, watching as a few others splash into the water. At Once Upon a Library Girl blog soon sighs and lays back, enjoying the baking temperatures, safely and contentedly. All the while, at Mickey and Batman's Marie swims out the furthest, settling about 100 yards out from shore, feeling a slight stain across their body, but it's probably just the sun. As Marie wades in the water, they watch the volleyballers and the axe throwers in the distance, only to soon notice a strange lack of activity at the fencing area. Hadn't at Langston Party of Four's love gone there to practice? Curious, Marie paddles closer to the fencing area and soon spots love lying prone on the sand with a fencing saber in their gut. Marie stops and gasps and panics, looking toward the others for help or, or for something. But just as Marie starts swimming to warn them, they feel that sharp pain again, like their body's on fire, burning inside and out everywhere their swimsuit is touching their skin. Marie twists and splashes, scratching out their suit, but the deadly, odorless poison has already seeped into their skin. Soon, Marie's movements still, and their body slowly sinks below the water. Meanwhile, near the other side of the lake, at hug underscore Bella and at Alexis 60814's Lexi Waters float on two flamingo floaties and laugh as they splash each other. At hug underscore Bella is notably more cautious in the water, but Lexi is too excited by the warm day to notice. Lexi stops swimming when at hug underscore Bella's floaty pops, shocking them both. The two girls meet each other's stares. Lexi laughs, thinking it was funny. After all, Lexi's vision is a little swirly, and the sun feels extra bright and warm, and they almost feel a little sick from the candy they ate earlier. But at hug underscore Bella isn't laughing, but panicking, frantically splashing out the water and screeching and yelling over and over again, I can't swim! I can't swim! Lexi blinks, trying to focus, but their sight is getting darker. Their movement's heavier and slower. Lexi reaches for at hug underscore Bella as their head goes underwater. But suddenly, Lexi is underwater as well. Lexi tries to remember how to swim, but they can't, the poison stopping their thoughts. The lake pulls both campers into its current and never lets them go. Later in the day, when it's nearly sunset, as at Tabby's underscore book underscore adventures prepares the candlelight vigil, at Aaliyah Usher heads to cabin eight and thinks, huh, I wonder where Lexi and at hug underscore Bella went. The thought soon disappears when Aaliyah Usher is tasked with finding candles for the vigil. Meanwhile, at Meep 2306's J takes a solitary somber stroll around the camp thinking about everything that had happened, the people they had lost. So consumed by their thoughts, Jay doesn't realize they've walked into the forest until... The bear trap locks its iron jaws around Jay's right leg. Jay screams and falls and clutches at their shin. Immediately, they know the trap is impossible to escape. A shadow passes over Jay, and they look up feeling hope briefly light their heart at the possibility that this person might be able to help, only for the shadow to raise a knife and finish the job. Back at cabin three, at Tabby's underscore book underscore adventures, has just finished lighting all the candles for the vigil when they hear a scream come from the bathroom. Evelyn, Tabby calls out, 
as at Rory underscore is underscore me is their bunkmate. Tabby rushes to the bathroom and flings open the door, only to find Evelyn Eve slumped against the sink, their eyes open and unblinking. The scene is brutal and consuming. It looks like an ear piercing gone wrong. Aghast, Tabby stumbles out of the bathroom and knocks over one of their carefully placed candles. Fire surges along the wooden floor and crawls up the wall. Black smoke clouds the air. Tabby covers their mouth and staggers for the cabin door and jiggles the doorknob. It's locked. The smoke grows thicker. The fire grows hotter. Tabby thinks they hear the other campers coming to possibly help. But Tabby coughs and feels their bodies slacken. They fall limp on the floor before the others can get there. The flames ravage the cabin. And Tabby, unconscious and helpless, is consumed. As campers and camp counselors and camp directors furiously work to put out the mysterious fire in Cabin 3, a group of unsuspecting campers crowd in the small attic above the mess hall, excitedly whispering to each other about talking to ghosts tonight. Feeling a little hungry, at Sapphire underscore Dragon underscores Evelyn Holmes gets up and goes into the kitchen and grabs a granola bar before the ghostly madness begins, moving to sit down on a bench. Evelyn, watch out, someone calls, and Evelyn immediately stops and looks down, seeing a deadly and angry rattlesnake hissing on the lunch bench. Had Evelyn not been saved, perhaps she would have been that snake's prey. Evelyn trembles at the thought. After the campers finish talking to ghosts, they leave the mess hall to go to sleep. They see the half-eaten remains of Cabin 3, where the roaring fire had taken place, but had been ruled as a terrible accident, and shudder to think if such a thing had happened to them. At Ginger underscore 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 babies, Paisley Brooks shivers and hurries into their cabin, safely. At Emily dot Williams does the same. But as at MLA.reads88, MLA heads for Cabin 1, the cabin on the outskirts of the camp, located closest to the woods. They have the feeling of being followed. MLA sharply looks back, but sees only swaying trees and the shadows of cabins and the faraway silhouettes of retreating campers. Shaking themselves from their delusions, Emily clutches their jacket around them tighter and keeps going. They walk along the perimeter between the woods and the camp when they hear a twig snap. Emily turns toward the sound. They begin to breathe heavily as they stare into the darkness that is the woods. Anything could be in there. Anyone. Following their survival instincts, Emily turns around, intent on returning to the mess hall or going to another cabin for sanctuary, when they are struck from behind with a stolen meat cleaver from the kitchens. Emily drops to the ground, and the camp killer drags their body into the forest, where it is never seen again. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. On the other side of the camp, near the outskirts of the woods and Cabin 12, at jlay.reads, Ollie Jackson, also known as OJ, feels a similar sensation of being followed, watched, stalked. Ollie ducks her head and walks faster, determined to ignore the feeling and get to their cabin as soon as possible. There's a boom in the skies. A bright light that beams down onto Ollie's shoulders, and an anti-gravitational force that lifts their feet off the ground. Overhead, a shadow, one so large it almost overtakes the skies, buzzes and makes the trees shake and makes the mountains seem small. Ollie can't do anything as they are vacuumed up into the unidentified 
flying object. As darkness overtakes Ollie, they briefly remember a camper joking about supernatural forces just yesterday. And with that, Ollie is gone, and the flying object blips out of existence. Oh man, who knew one camp could be so deadly? I sure didn't. Though the police keep reassuring us that all of this is fine, I think I'm smelling something fishy. Tonight we have lost. At Mickey M. Batman. At Langston Party of Four. At Hug underscore Bella. At Alexis60814. At Tabby's underscore book underscore adventures. At Rory underscore is underscore me. At Meep2306. At MLA.reads88. And at JLay.reads. Good luck and stay safe, campers. Night 3 of Camp Kiwi and the Bird. Cinematic Mayhem. Hello, campers. This is Taylor. A.K. the bird from Kiwi and the Bird, and, uh, how do I say this? This year's camp obviously hasn't gone as planned. Camp Kiwi and the Bird is supposed to be about fun, new experiences, and laughter. Not this. Murder and mayhem. The phone lines have been down, but we've been trying to contact your loved ones to pick you up early from camp. In the meantime, for our remaining 44 campers, we're going to... Brighten everyone's spirits with some fun games of volleyball, arts and crafts, and maybe even a special movie premiere of Barbie tonight down by the lake. Which is where our story begins. The next day at Camp Kiwi starts with a flurry of whispers. What happened to Ollie Jackson last night? I heard a rumble and I saw a light. And then OJ was just gone. Naturally, everyone has somewhat of an idea of what happened to Ollie Jackson. Only, no one wants to believe it. Aliens? From poisonous cheesecake tarts to fires and friendship bracelets, aliens are the last thing Camp Kiwi needs. With the new day, the campers break off to various activities to distract themselves. At nat.bullock and livinglife.lovingbooks Olivia go to make t-shirts. At McCord Megan, Spam Account and Emmy Row 12's Winter decide to go on a short hike. And at Brianna.Pate, Alia Usher, and Amanda underscore THW decide to start up a volleyball game. They kick off their flip-flops and tie back their hair and feel the raw heat of the sand under their toes. As Brianna and Alia bump the ball to each other, Amanda recruits at Karen Millen AGP's Melody Adidas, and Purple Wizzy's Cecilia Lane to join the game. Together, the five campers begin a game of intense volleyball, where each set and spike and dive scatters the surrounding grass with sand, and their skin tans under the sun. Melody Adidas takes a brief break from the game and drinks some water on the grass as the others continue to play. As Melody sips and basks under the sun, they feel a heavy shift in the ground beneath them and the hissing of sand. Melody's brow furrows and they rise to their feet, only to feel that heavy shift again, as though the ground was vibrating, moving. Melody looks at Brianna, Aaliyah, Amanda, and Cecilia and sees the sand vibrating beneath their feet, each particle churning and sifting under the weight like ocean waves. Aaliyah steps forward and hits the volleyball over the net, only for their right foot to plunge deep into the sand. They grunt and try to pull their leg free, but the sand holds firm like glue. Cecilia and Amanda both die for the ball and face similar fates, their hands and arms now entrapped. Brianna panics and stumbles backward, falling into the sand near Melody. Inch by inch, their backside starts to sink into the ground. Help! The four of them cry out as Melody stares at them, wide-eyed and in shock. Soon, Melody blinks and glances around, looking for rope or anything that might pull their fellow campers free from the quicksand. There's an abandoned paddle lying near the lake, 
Melody runs for it, grabs it, and sprints back, only to find Cecilia and Amanda already up to their necks, Brianna at their waist. Melody extends the paddle to Brianna, the closest camper. Brianna latches on with desperation, but no matter how hard they pull, they can't pull themselves out of the sand. Come on, Melody shouts, straining with the weight and the tug of the sand, feeling their own feet drag forward, their toes coming closer and closer to the volleyball pit. Cecilia and Amanda sputter in desperation, their heads almost completely under. The sand up to their chin, Brianna tugs on the paddle harder, unknowingly pulling Melody closer. Stop, Melody tries to say, but survival instincts have already taken over. In one final desperate tug, Brianna jerks the paddle, and Melody falls into the sand pit. The particles sift and stir and engulf all five campers. Just before Melody goes under, they spot at Emmy Road 12's Winter sprinting toward them, having returned from their hike. Winter gasps and collapses beside the sand pit and desperately reaches for Melody's hand. The last thing Melody sees before going under is Winter crying their name. The pain at seeing their secret lover vanish beneath the sand is too much for Winter. They clutch at their chest as their heart bursts into pieces and willingly fall forward into the pit, happily letting it consume them. The last thing Winter whispers before they dip below the surface is, Why? Why us? As the quicksand left no bodies behind, no traces of any of the campers' existences, the rest of camp prepares the area beside the lake and near the woods for the homemade movie premiere of Barbie. At Yeah, I'm a Proser blows up the projector screen, Mel Pell 18 drags benches and beanbags over, and Laura R. Shuman drapes some blankets over the patchier grassy areas, over some dirt and a strange-looking plant they've never seen before. At 8 p.m., it's finally time to start the movie. The Barbie title card flashes onto the projector screen, and everyone takes their seats. At Future Novelista, settles in the third row on a beanbag, getting nice and cozy. At Julianne Narame's Nova Stark, goes to relax on a bench when... Ow! Did I really sit on a tack? In the woods? Nova thinks and rubs their backside. Ultimately, they shrug it off. Meanwhile, with the mountain air turning a little nippier, Laura R. Shuman decides to swipe a blanket off the ground and use it for warmth instead. The fabric is a little itchy, but it's fine. Nearby, at Once Upon a Library Girl blogs, Lainey Adams picks up their nails and scowls at the pink on the projector screen. After all, they are Wednesday Adams' cousin. They have better things to do than watch Barbie like bake poisonous cookies or sharpen their axe collection. Back in the third row, Nova Stark starts to feel a piercing, throbbing in their bones, and their head hurts. A slow but terrifying sense of paralyzation stalls their senses and nerve endings, freezing every joint and muscle in place. Nova's throat seizes, and they try to turn their head to warn the camper beside them that something was wrong. At, Laura R. Shuman also starts to feel uncomfortable. The blanket no longer felt itchy. Laura felt itchy, like there were bugs crawling underneath their skin. Laura scratches at their arms, their face, their hair. Even their heart feels itchy, but it's an itch that can't be soothed, no matter what Laura does. Little do they know the toxins in their veins have leached into their organs. Much like Nova Stark, these are their final moments. Laura and Nova catch each other's stares, their eyes glossy with fear, just before the poison takes over. Ryan Gosling's Ken says something on screen, making everyone laugh, each camper completely unaware of the danger around them. As the Barbie cast starts to dance on screen, Lainey Adams again shakes their head at the pink absurdity. Just as Barbie asks, Do you ever think about dying? Lainey feels a sharp pinprick in their neck. They slap at it, thinking it was a mosquito, but when they pull their hand back, they see a poisonous dart instead. Come on, Lainey drones in their mind, channeling their inner Wednesday. 
Before they die, Lainey thinks, a poison dart? That's the best you can do? Then Lainey collapses in their seat, dead. Barbie ends. The campers start to pack up, unaware of the dead bodies in the crowd. In the back row, at Brit underscore trans Athena asks the camper beside them, Emily.Williams, So, did you like the movie? There is no response. Athena frowns and turns to look at Emily and gasps. (gasps) Emily is stiff in their seat, their skin bluish and their eyes tinted red. The pink scarf worn to honor Barbie, acting as their noose in the end. Athena screams. (coughs) On the other side of the campgrounds, at Kesov is scavenging the Quake Camp Library in search for answers for everything that's happened at Camp Kiwi and the Bird. They've pulled up old records and tales, stories about freaky phone calls, missing cabin keys, and some girl named Kate McDonald. Camp Kiwi is no stranger to misfortune, and Kesov is determined to know why. As they pilfer through more books, the AC switches on and the old fence rattle as air and a strange, near-colorless gas filter through. The gas is light and mist-like and crawls over the shelves and the floor like a slow, creeping beast. So slow in its prowl, Kesov doesn't notice the, the growing tightness in their lungs, the slowing blink in their eyes. So caught up in their research, Kesov doesn't even realize that they're laughing. <laughs> laughing, giggling, guffawing, cackling like an evil witch at Halloween. The book they are holding falls from their hands, falling open on a page about huntsmen. Kesov crashes down onto their knees, still laughing, laughing so hard they keep laughing until they die. And as though it was never there, the laughing gas disappears. It's late now. Most of camp has gone to bed, and the night is quiet outside, the wind just a whisper. One camp killer, satisfied with how the night had gone, sits in a shadowed corner in the mess hall, humming happily to themselves as they make a sandwich. They pile some lettuce, tomatoes, and loads and loads of turkey onto the bread, making sure to top it off with some mustard and a little bit of pepper. But just as the camp killer takes a massive bite, They see a shadow in the window. A tall, looming, immobile shadow. One so intimidating, it makes the forest in the background look quaint and harmless in comparison. The shadow raises a finger to their neck and does a cutting motion across their throat. The camp killer, their confidence now gone, their glee now fear, starts to choke on their food, the turkey in particular. They pound their hand against their chest, but the food is lodged too deep in their throat. They wheeze and gasp and look to the window again, but the shadow is gone. At Nancy reads and writes, Eleanor gasps for a final time before they fall face first onto their sandwich. Dead. Deep in the woods, the pine trees sway in the wind. An owl hoots, and a camper presumed to be dead, has been brought back to life. Well, how about that? A camp killer has been eliminated and a camper has been brought back to life? Who says Camp Kiwi and the Bird doesn't have some happy endings? Tonight, we have lost. At Julianne Naraim, at Brianna.Pate, at Aliyah Usher, at Emily.Williams, at PurpleWizzy2018, at Amanda underscore THW, at row 12 at Laura R. Schumann, at Once Upon a Library Girl blog, at Kasov, and at Nancy Reads and Rats. Good luck, and stay safe, campers. Night 4 of Camp Kiwi and the Bird Natural Disaster Campers, 
This is Taylor, a.k.a. the bird from At Kimi and the Bird. I know a lot has happened, and I know that this is one of those moments where we as directors need to step up and say, everything's going to be okay, or we're all going to get through this. But in all honesty, everything that has happened here this week can't be real, right? I checked the phone lines again. They've been cut. I'm going to be real honest. We're in danger. For our 34 remaining campers, we need to spread out, be careful about who we trust, and either try to find these camp killers or find a way to escape. Some of you have volunteered to explore the trails on horseback, scour the woods for anyone who might be living nearby, and pack up any essential items after breakfast. Which is where our story begins. Breakfast at Camp Kiwi and the Bird is a bleak affair. As the campers silently eat some leftover eggs, potatoes, and chicken tenders, all they can think about is everything that has gone wrong, and how it seems they have little power to do anything about it. Even worse, how a few campers woke up to find strange dolls made out of bound twigs and twine placed on their pillows this morning, like a warning for who and from what no one knows. But at least there's a game plan today. Scavenge for supplies, search for help, and survive. With this in mind, at Hank underscore the underscore octopus stands up from their table, feeling queasy. Either way, Hank and Tristan underscore Robinson's Violet Sorengale head for the stables, where they saddle up two horses and hit the trail, looking for anything or anyone that might be able to help. Meanwhile, at unprofessional underscore bookworm, HD underscore bookie Scarlet Barnes, and Morgan underscore Pearlcrest Pearl Colon, as well as Pearl Service Dog Max, scavenge each cabin, the activity centers, and the dock house for anything useful. Unprofessional bookworm has found some leftover candles, while Scarlet, aka Red, grabs a bow and arrows from the archery range. All the while, Pearl rounds the dockhouse, taking care to avoid the canoes racked outside, and investigates the storage closet. They see paddles, cleaning supplies, and life jackets, when Max barks at something in the doorway, startling them. What's wrong, boy? Pearl asks, thinking Max must have spotted a squirrel or something. But Max adamantly keeps snarling at the doorway, his ears pinned back. Uneasiness overcomes Pearl. After all, Max is a well-trained service dog and usually even-tempered. Pearl swallows and goes to speak again when Max takes off, dashing off into the distance. Max, wait! Pearl tears after him. They throw themselves outside and into the sunlight. Pearl squints and raises their hand, blocking the light, when they hear a sharp, dislodging click to their left. Pearl faces the sound, just as the rows of wrecked canoes come unlocked, the boats shooting off the shelves with stunning speed. One strikes Pearl directly in the head. Pearl collapses onto the ground, feeling warmth pool at the back of their head. They blink slowly as the sky darkens and closes their eyes and never opens them again. At HG underscore Bookie Scarlet is startled when Max tears past them by the archery range, the dog a streak of gold underneath the sunlight. They watch as the dog takes off into the forest and wonder briefly if Pearl is going with them. Shrugging it off, Scarlet shoulders a bow and heads toward the movie screen the camp had used the night before, pillaging the leftover blankets. Scarlet nears the movie screen and kicks away some of the beanbags with a huff. After all, Scarlet had come to camp to get away from the big city for the summer, but dealing with camp killers and aliens certainly didn't make for a great vacation. Scarlet sits on a crumpled bean bag and blows their hair away from their face when they hear a strange snipping sound, like a wire jouncing and falling slack. Something heavy and metallic groans from behind Scarlet, and they turn around, facing the movie screen, just as it tips them. Scarlet goes to dive out of the way, but they're too late. 
the heavy screen falls down on top of them, its weight crushing Scarlet instantly. In cabin four, at Michaela underscore 115, is packing when they hear something crash in the distance. Michaela lifts their head and looks out the window, but doesn't notice anything. They resume their task without further issue. At Ginger underscore 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 babies, Paisley Brooks also hears commotion near the lake. But they're too busy trying to retrieve a pin from their hometown from the pool to do something. If Camp Kiwi is going down, Paisley wants a piece of home with them. But the more they try to fish out the pin, it sinks further toward the deep end. Paisley sighs and gets on their hands and knees, plunging the pool tool deeper into the water when someone pushes them into the pool. Paisley is plunged underwater. They gasp and flounder, and their heads break the surface. Paisley blinks and coughs and demands the person, more rather a shadow with how the sunlight backlights their form. Hey, what was that for? Paisley pushes their wet hair back from their face, angry and waiting for a response. The shadow says nothing, but raises something silver and shiny above them. A toaster? Paisley squints and notices the extension cord that dingles down from the appliance. Wait, Paisley shouts, but the camp killer throws the toaster in without remorse. The toaster bursts, sparks fly, and Paisley's body sinks into the deep end. Hours pass. There is no sign of those who rode off on horseback earlier, despite it being the late afternoon now. At Trushti watches the woods from the window in cabin 9 for a camp killer. So far, nothing. Deep in those very woods, one camper who was presumed dead scavenges for spare wood. Ever since they woke in the woods, they figured it's safer for them to hide out in the forest rather than stay at camp. That's where the camp killers were, right? But many things plague Camp Kiwi and the Bird. When the resurrected camper returns to their temporary shelter, they stop still when they see a doll made from twigs, twine, and leaves positioned at the mouth of their hut. The camper inspects the forest, searching for any hint for who, or what, left the doll. But that's the thing about Fae. They are skillful predators who often disguise themselves as trees, animals, or any other organic life form. They're typically drawn to the dead, but a newly resurrected player, whose furiously beating heart sounds so delicious, is an irresistible meal. The trees start to move. They pry their branch-like limbs free from other trunks and shake out their leaf-ridden hair. They move toward Tabby with sharp, rickety movements, and Tabby turns around to run only to slam into the gnarled chest of another fae standing behind her. Tabby opens their mouth to scream, and everything goes black. Back at Camp Kiwi, a camp killer is hiding underneath the cover of the forest, crouched behind bushes and foliage as they survey the camp. Adrenaline pulses through their veins as they think about what to do next. Just as the camp killer settles on a decision and steps out, they hear a meow from beside them. They look to their right and see a little kitten with white fur and blue eyes tiptoe out from a bush. The kitten yawns and gazes at the camp killer before it sits down and licks at its paw. Shoo, I got stuff to do, the camp killer says, and the kitten stills. It looks at the killer again. Only now, it's one's blue eyes are black. Startled, the camp killer steps back, snapping a stick. At the sound, the kitten springs up into an aggressive stance. And before the camp killer can even raise their hands to protect themselves, the kitten launches into an attack, transforming into a large, monstrous, thorned and blackened fey beast. At Endless underscore, World underscore, Endless underscore, Pages, Arden Rose 
yells as the Fey Beast pins them down and snarls in their face. And Arden knows this is the end. Just before the beast goes in for the kill, it whispers in a startlingly human voice, the huntsman says hello. Some miles away, at Hank underscore the underscore octopus and Tristan underscore Robinson's Violet Sorengale ride on horseback through the woods. First in the lineup, Hank winces and holds their gut, their stomach churning and twisting. Their tongue feels dry. They try to remember what they had eaten that morning. Chicken tenders? Eggs? Violet rides behind Hank and scans the forest with watchful eyes. Violet notes the birds cooing in the trees and the careful tread of their horse. And they briefly catch sight of Hank swaying in their saddle before Hank slips off their horse and collapses onto the ground. Not breathing. The sight and sound spooks Violet's horse. Their steed rears up into the air and Violet yelps, latching onto the saddle horn. The horse slams their hooves back into the earth. It's okay, boy, Violet shouts. The horse only whinnies and rears again. The girth to Violet's saddle, which had been previously cut, snaps. Violet falls off their horse with their saddle. They land hard on the ground, their heads snapping against a rock. The two riderless horses take off, leaving Violet and Hank behind. Around the bodies, the trees move again, the fae unsticking themselves as they scent a new meal. Night falls back at camp. Most of the campers settle in their cabins, praying that the booby traps they've set up around their bunks hold up against the camp killers. At Bella, my beetle, stares out the window, dreaming of home, when they spot something like a shooting star in the sky. Look, Bella says, hoping to lighten the mood. A shooting star! At everything books underscore 21 comes over and looks and shakes their head. That's not a shooting star, everything says. It's like a meteor or an asteroid. Outside, perched on a rock high up in the mountains, at nat.bullock admires that very asteroid, also believing it's a shooting star. Nat thinks that this supposed shooting star is a sign of hope, that even though the night is black, there's still a flare of light, a reason to hope that they might escape all of this. So, Nat keeps admiring that fake shooting star, but when it doesn't die out, Nat starts to wonder, why does it look like it's getting closer and falling super fast? Indeed, it looks as though the asteroid was going to impact with the Earth within minutes, and despite being smaller, Nat has no doubt it could do miles worth of damage. Frightened, they stand and start to run back to camp, but the trek is long and arduous, the path full of steep switchbacks and natural debris. As they run, Nat keeps glancing back behind them, at the skies and the asteroid that is overtaking their view. I'm going to make it, Nat promises, but they can hear the volatile plummet of the massive rock in the skies. Doesn't matter how fast they run, they can feel the spiraling heat of the incoming missile, but they keep running, keep hoping, even as the ground starts to vibrate with the incoming doom. Just as camp comes into Nat's view, the asteroid crashes into the earth, crushing everything, from mountains to trees to Nat themselves, in its wake. Campers, to Nat we have lost. At Tristan underscore Robison. At HJ underscore Bookie. At Morgan underscore Pearlcrest. At Hank underscore the underscore octopus. At Tabby's underscore book underscore adventure. At Ginger underscore 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 baby. At Nat dot Bullock. And at Endless underscore world underscore endless underscore pages. Good luck campers and stay safe.
Night 5 of Camp Kiwi and the Bird. Final Destination, Part 1. Hello, campers. This is Taylor, a.k.a. the bird from Kiwi and the Bird. And we have some good news for once. That asteroid that hit yesterday? Camp is just outside of its blast radius. So all the people in buildings are safe, thank goodness. And due to the asteroid... Emergency services have arrived and set up a communication center for you all to contact your families. In truth, the connection's still a bit spotty. But the higher you get, the better the chance you'll have of reaching your loved ones. But this is the tail end of our journey, campers. Soon, all the camp killers and the aliens and asteroids and Faye will be behind you. Which is where our story begins. The fifth and final day of Camp Kiwi the Bird starts with a storm. The skies rumble, and rain pelts the ashen remains of Cabin 3, the still-bubbling quicksand at the volleyball court, and the still-smoldering remains of the asteroid that crashed nearby the night before. Authorities have arrived to inspect the crash site. Hearing that communication to the outer world has been somewhat re-established, at Barry underscore 0025 takes it upon themselves to climb on top of the pool house to try for a signal. The roof is slick with rain, and the building is taller than Barry remembers. They raise their phone, the battery less than 5%, into the air and blink water out of their eyes. The skies pulsate and flicker with blue as lightning prepares to strike. The electrical anticipation raises Barry's skin, but they stay focused on getting reception. Seeing one bar, two bars... Lightning bolts down from the sky and connects with Barry, blaring the world with white. Barry is blasted away. Their phone lands on the grass, glitching and smoking. Now, fully charged. The rest of the campers huddle in their cabins, jumping whenever they hear a screech of lightning. Fortunately, they are informed that some of the authorities will be driving the surviving campers down to the nearest town, where their loved ones will be contacted. At Bella Beetle hops into a park ranger's truck, while the other campers disperse into other cars. At Michaela underscore 115 sighs with relief as they settle in the police cruiser. As Camp Kiwi starts to shrink in the rear view, they lay their heads back and relax. Riding in the back of another police car, at one Fufu, future novelista, and Julie Led feel a similar weight being lifted off their chests. They survived Camp Kiwi and the Bird. Construction, Michaela underscore 115 hears their driver say as the car slows down. This wasn't here before. Michaela opens their eyes and looks ahead, where they see a construction blockade. It looks like there's a fallen tree, some asphalt pavers and roadwork, a logging truck, and a crane holding a suspended piece of concrete, the debris gently swaying as it hangs over the cruiser. Behind them, the other cars with the other campers stop as well. Let me see if I can find anyone to speak to, the driver informs Michaela, stepping out. The policeman cautiously approaches the site. As he walks the perimeter, Michaela notices a shadow in the driver's seat of the logging truck. Michaela hears the truck switch on, sees the headlights as they flick on too. At once, instinct tells Michaela to run. Michaela steps out, about to tell the policeman that they need to go when there's the sharp snap of a cable from overhead. Michaela freezes and looks up at the suspended piece of concrete. It looks like it's going to fall. Michaela gasps. The concrete slab drops, crushing them. Ahead, the locking truck switches into gear and lunges toward the rest of the campers in the remaining cars. Go, Bella my beetle shouts to their driver. The park ranger doesn't argue. The car is put into reverse and they tear off down the road, the logging truck hot on their trail. Meanwhile, at one Fufu, future novelista, 
and Julie led plow forward in their police cruiser, their driver blasting through the construction site, uncaring of the blockades and the obstacles. But something slick like oil must have been poured onto the road, for the tires swerve and squeak, and the driver furiously wrenches at the wheel. The car swings out into a wild turn and slams into an asphalt paver. Instantly, hot and thick and tar-like asphalt is poured onto the cruiser. It melts over the windshield and steams the windows. Julie Led grabs at their throbbing head, gasping, and catches movement in the side mirror, where a shadow approaches the steaming, tarry car with a lit match. Meanwhile, driving furiously in the opposite direction, Michaela and the park ranger have slowly been losing their lead over the log truck. Soon, the cars are parallel to each other, and the log truck driver smiles at Michaela before it zooms ahead and pulls in front of their vehicle. The logs tethered onto the back of the truck bounce against the chain strapping them down. The logger swerves, the chains strain, and one of them clips free. The last thing Michaela sees is one of the logs slipping off the back of the truck, heading toward them, and piercing through the windshield. Back in the other car, At One Fufu shouts, We need to go! as tarry asphalt continues to pour over the windows, obscuring their view. Behind them, the camp killer stalks closer. In reaction, future novelista pushes their driver out of the car and takes over the wheel. They put the car in reverse, peel out, and aim to speed past the killer. But just as they drive by, the camp killer tosses the lit match. It catches on the oil greasing the wheels. The vehicle starts to catch fire, and Julie Led screams. Barely able to see out the windshield, Future wrenches the wheel to the right, and the car dives into the forest. Branches strike the vehicle as the three campers blaze through the woods. Future keeps pressing on the pedal, forcing the car faster. When they see hints of the cliff's edge ahead, it's already too late. The car soars off the cliff and explodes. At spam account hears a distant explosion as their driver plows down the highway past the fake construction site and down the road. Spam had witnessed everything that had just happened. The camp killers were here, and Spam had a feeling this wasn't going to end well. Such a feeling proves true when a wolf darts out into the road in front of the car. The driver curses and slams down on the brakes, the truck screeching to a stop. The bumper stops just inches away from the creature. The wolf stares at Spam through the window, its eyes an unnatural yellow, its body far larger than that of a normal lupine. Spam had heard the whispers and rumors about Faye, shapeshifters, just yesterday. As the wolf approaches the vehicle with a canine grin and a growl that rattles Spam's bones, Spam thinks that maybe they should have paid the myths more credit. With that, the wolf lunges. Myths and rumors also hunt down at Yeah, I'm a Prozer in their Ranger vehicle. As their driver turns down onto a dirt path they claim will keep them safe and off the road, Yaz lungs stop when they see two pairs of massive feet and two hulking bodies blocking their path. Yaz's eyes climb higher as they take in the two creatures of impossible height, their bodies broad and furry and muscular and terrifying. Their throat sealed shut, Yaz clutches at the door handle and without hesitation, throws himself out of the car, sprinting into the forest. Yaz briefly hopes that their driver does the same, but when they hear distant calls for help, and massive footsteps and roars shake the world behind them. They fear the worst. Yas seeks refuge in a quaint, murky pond, hoping the water will mask their scent. But something shifts under the surface, and something scaly and slimy brushes against Yas' leg, 
They try to convince themselves it's just algae or something. When it happens again, something slimy touching their thigh, their arm, their calf. Only now there's a sharpness too, as though something was biting. Yeah. A piranha swims up close to the surface, flashing its pearly scales. And Yah screeches, moving to pull themselves out of the pond. But the piranha are hungry, and they've just scented their next meal. And so, the feeding frenzy begins. Campers, tonight we have lost. At Barry underscore 0025. At Michaela underscore 115. At Bella My Beetle. At One Foo Foo. At Future Novelista. At Julie Led. At Spam Account. And at Yeah, I'm a Proser. Until then, good luck and stay safe, campers. Night 5 of Camp Kiwi and the Bird. Final Destination, Part 2 Noon at Camp Kiwi and the Bird is quiet. The storm has gone away, birds call to each other in the trees, and the breeze picks up the cool flecks of the lake water, making every surface glint and glimmer. Though there are very distant and dulled sounds of burning cars at the base of cliffs and on the road, it doesn't disturb the peacefulness of the scenery. In fact, To the eight individuals lying out on towels by the lakeside, the ambiance only adds to the feeling of victory. Camp Kiwi's Killers, at EverythingBooks underscore 21, Christy Bookish, Julia McKenzie 99, Kayla STX, LivingLife.LovingBooks, Bookshelf.Of.Linz, Trushti, and Denise Sherman 2480, sigh and lounge and tan under the sun. At Everything Books, cleans glasses of lemonade with Christy Bookish's Summer. Bookshelf of Linz dips their toes into the water. Denise Sherman's Mouse, Julia McKenzie's Davina, and Trushti's Red reminisce over their favorite camp moments. And Kayla STX's Clark finishes reading their book alongside livinglife.lovingbooks' Olivia. Everyone sighs with contentment until they hear a scream tear out of cabin five. They all sit up and turn around, watching as at Amanda underscore went 98 sprints out of the cabin with terror on their face. Amanda sees the group on the lakeside and shouts, Please, I need help! There's Faye chasing me and Bigfoots and wolves! If we all work together, we can escape! Please, help! The camp killers look at each other and grin. Davina grabs her axe off the ground and stands. Clark and Olivia crack their necks and feel adrenaline start in their veins. Lynn's Red and Everything Books start planning amongst themselves, whispering how they'll drive Amanda toward the center of the camp, where they've set up a few booby traps. Mouse passes Summer their knife, and Summer smiles, telling the group, Let's go. And so, the final innocent camper at Kiwi and the Bird meets their demise. Later that night, the camp killers host a major bonfire for themselves, where they eat their favorite foods and talk about their favorite books and what they're going to do next. They laugh about how crazy camp was and how they'll never forget anything that happened here. When it gets late, they know it's time to leave Camp Kiwi and the Bird once and for all. Summer and Davina pack up, and Linz, Red, and Everything Books start rigging C4 around the perimeter of the campsite. Mouse douses the remaining cabins with gasoline, and as Clark and Olivia pile the most flammable items in the mess hall, they hear a bark from the distance and turn toward the sound. Out from the forest runs Max, the trusty service dog. He runs up to Clark and pants with excitement, pushing his snout into Clark's hand. Clark smiles. Come on, boy, they say, and Max becomes their new companion as the camp killers gather at the southernmost point of the camp. The camp killers grab each other's hands and look at Camp Kiwi and the bird for the last time. 
It's been good, everything Book says. Who knew, Davina jokes in return. I guess this is the last time we'll see each other, Olivia notes. I'm sure we'll all see each other again in the future, Bookshelf of Lynn's answers. Thanks for being an epic crew, Red laughs. Remind me not to eat anything you guys ever make, Clark responds with a smile. Until then, Mouse concludes. What do I do with all these notes, Summer asks, and everyone laughs. There's a hitch in the breeze, and they all look to their left, where the ghosts of two past camp killers, at Nancy Reads and Writes, and Endless underscore Worlds underscore Endless underscore Pages, appear for a moment. They smile and wave and tell their living allies they did a great job. Then, everyone turns toward Red as they hold up a detonator. The camp killers nod, and Red clicks the big red button. The C4 buried along the perimeter of Camp Kiwi and the bird ruptures and bursts, activating the fault lines deep under the earth. The ground shudders. The lake vibrates. As though the whole world takes a breath, Camp Kiwi and the bird falls into a massive sinkhole. The camp killers give the chaos their backs, walking away just as an explosion lights the skies. The camp killers flick their hair back as they pass by the camp queuing the bird sign as it swings lazily in the night breeze. At once, they all split off into the darkness. And the winner of the Camp Kiwi and the Bird giveaway is at Christy Bookish. Congratulations! And so the story of Camp Kiwi and the Bird ends. Hey everyone, this is Taylor. Thankfully, without the country accent. Let me tell you guys, that accent was a struggle and we all knew it. You were all kind not to say anything. (laughs) I wanted to take a moment to sincerely thank everyone who participated in Camp Kiwi and the Bird this week. Whenever we think of these games, we never truly know where they will go. But we always have the hope that they can be fun and interactive and something new for everyone to be a part of. It's safe to say that this week, you all completely blew us away. The way that you all got into things and strategized and gave Camp Kiwi your own spin was so incredibly amazing to watch, and more than we could have ever hoped for for this game. Truly, you all breathed new life and creativity into this giveaway, and we are truly grateful for your time, your participation, your delightful personalities, and how you make these giveaways feel so special. You're all fabulous, and we hope you know how thankful we are to get to know you online. For my co-host, we hope you have a wonderful night. Until next time, good luck, campers.